You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading this afternoon, connection with Lord's Day 24, which continues to deal with justification by faith alone. Our reading comes from James chapter 2. We'll begin at verse 14 and read through verse 26. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Our text this afternoon is the word of God as it's summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 24 of the Heidelberg Catechism, where the Catechism continues its teaching about justification by faith. And here we consider the place of good works in justification. But why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. Whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. But do our good works earn nothing? even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next, this reward is not earned. It is a gift of grace. Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? No. It is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Imagine your life as a line, a timeline. Imagine your life begins at one end of the line and ends on the other end of the line. Or, it's probably more appropriate, you just put an arrow at the one end. Because that's what happens through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have eternal life. Just put an arrow on the one end, it keeps going. Now, at a certain moment on that line is a moment when, having heard about the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross, 
We responded in faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. As the one who had done all to accomplish your salvation. You placed your faith in him, knowing and confessing your sins. And so experienced the blessedness of forgiveness and the beginnings of a radically new life. This, you might say, is the moment of justification by faith alone. A profound moment. As we considered Lord's Day 23 a few weeks ago, we considered how we are born into Adam. We, along with all people, born into Adam and into the sin and misery in which Adam plunged us by his sin. But yet, we are saved into Jesus Christ and his righteousness and eternal life. This happens through justification. That act of God whereby he declares us righteous in his sight for the sake of that already accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He applies that work of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has earned from that work to us, to our account, in place of the sins which should have been there because Jesus Christ has paid for those sins. And so you have this timeline, and there's a moment where you understood that the obedience of Jesus Christ is applied to your account. Now, we're going to use this timeline this afternoon to understand the place of works in our justification There's many things about this timeline that we're not talking about. We're not talking about how conscious you need to be of everything on this timeline. We're not talking about how this timeline fits into the eternal decree of election that God has. Or how this timeline fits with what Jesus Christ accomplished already in the past on the cross. The work is finished, completed. We're talking about when this work when we become aware of it, when this work is applied to us from our perspective. We're also not talking about where this faith came from, this faith by which we embraced the work of Jesus Christ, although we can. That faith is a gift of God. That faith comes from God. But the focus this afternoon is on this. What's the place of works on that timeline that is especially in a before and after sense? What's the place of works before justification, you might say, or or leading into or arriving at justification? And what's the place of works after justification? We'll see that the place of works is profoundly different on both sides of the timeline. Because justification is by faith alone. But justification by faith alone produces in the Christian good works. Justification is by faith alone, not by works, 
Yet justification produces good works in the life of the Christian. That's what we're going to consider this afternoon. So, before justification, what do works do then? Before justification. Well, the Catechism spends considerable time with this with considering works, good works, and the place, how they fit with justification. And there's good reason for that, historical reason, and that has to do with the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. That's the context in which the Heidelberg Catechism was written. And that's why they spend so much time speaking about works here as they talk about justification. The teaching of the Roman Catholic Church which became enshrined in the decrees of the Council of Trent, is that justification is accomplished by the grace of God operating on a person in cooperation with their free will. So the grace of God working on someone, cooperating with the free will of that person, in order to transform a sinner from a a state of unrighteousness to Righteousness or holiness. You'll probably hear that that sounds quite a bit different than the way that I described justification at the beginning. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that justification is a a state of being and is that work of God by His grace cooperating with the will of a person to move from unrighteousness to holiness. In their life. So the church taught that it's very important, of course, to move from. You don't want to be caught in the camp of the unrighteous, right? You want to move to the camp of the righteous. And what was very important in that movement from unrighteous to righteous were the sacraments. Baptism. And penance. The Roman Catholics understood that the sacraments themselves... We're able to impart grace, to, to impart what was needed or, or the beginnings of what was needed to move from unrighteousness to righteousness, to help the free will of that person move from acts of unrighteousness to acts of righteousness. Garrett was baptized, baptized into all the promises of God, the, the promise of of all the work of Jesus Christ accomplished on his behalf. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that a baby is baptized and by the act of baptism, they are moved along toward righteousness. There's something good within the baby. The act of baptism helps them along in the right direction. That was the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. And another teaching that was really prominent around the time of the Reformation was indulgences. Indulgences were very important. Indulgences were something you could buy. And buying indulgences, you could receive a supply of good works. Well, if justification was moving from unrighteousness to to holiness, where you would produce good works, indulgences was a way of buying some progression along that path. You could buy your way into a a righteous place. You could buy good works and show that 
and, and earn your status before God through those indulgences. And in order to promote the sale of these indulgences, some peddlers, like the infamous Tetzel, would scare people into doubting the quality and the quantity of their good works and so convince them to buy indulgences as a kind of security for eternal life. So you need, you need to be holy to live with God. And the Roman Catholic Church taught that you could buy good works, you could buy holy works, and to increase the sale of those works, people like Tetzel would convince people how bad they were. And they weren't doing any good works and how God was going to punish them for all their works. Therefore, making the, the buying of good works more necessary. And it was, in fact, the sale of those indulgences that set off the Reformation as Martin Luther wrote his 95 theses against the sale of indulgences. Well, the effect of this teaching of the Roman Catholic Church on justification meant that assurance for salvation could never really be attained since someone would have to constantly perform the sacrament of penance, for example, or the purchasing of indulgences to move them forward toward holiness. You were always on this sliding scale between unrighteousness and righteousness, never sure if you were far enough along the, the righteousness side in order to to merit salvation, in order to be pleasing in God's sight. And the whole time you had people like Tetzel telling you how bad you were and how terrible it was going to be when God punished you for your sins. And so people lived devoid of assurance. They never felt safe. They couldn't guarantee that they were saved by God. Of course, you realize the very much worse effect of this teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. That is that the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross is ignored or at best sidelined. So people lived under a burden of having to earn their salvation by good works. You had to do more good works because the more good works you did, the better chance you had of being accounted among the righteous rather than the unrighteous. And people were impoverished by their desire for for assurance. Now these are the historical situations, considerations of good works and the catechism what, you might ask, does this have to do with us today? Well, you may recall from the sermon two weeks ago about justification, what this is all about, but you probably don't. So we'll speak about that for a moment. We considered our place in Adam. And we saw that a part of our sinful nature, the nature of our first parent, Adam, in which we were in, into which we were born, is a grasping for equality with God. Part of our sinful nature Part of our being born children of Adam is a grasping for equality with God, a certain pride within us, a tendency to think that we are good enough, that we are better than we are, that we can attain something on our own. And when it comes to justification, this kind of thinking is deadly. 
If in the time of the Reformation, people struggled with thinking that they were not good enough and that somehow they had to earn their way to salvation, they had to earn God's favor, it may be that we struggle with thinking that we are good enough and that there would be no reason why God wouldn't put his favor upon us. Both are certainly there. We struggle with both of them in our sinful nature. One, a desire to to do what is good, to please God, to, to do what is right, to be righteous, to do better. And another one which says, what we're doing is probably good enough and we're okay. But the biblical teaching of justification puts the lie to both of these and puts our attention where it belongs, which is upon Jesus Christ and his work accomplished on our behalf for us. You see, the problem as the Bible describes our position as Adam in Adam is that good works simply aren't our good works simply aren't good enough. They don't measure up. God's word is very clear about the quality of our works in light of the perfect standard of God's justice. Paul states in Galatians 3, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. And it isn't because the law is so bad. Keeping the law is so bad. The problem that Paul is talking about is us. The problem is not that the law is so bad. The problem is that we are. We are cursed because we cannot obey everything written in the book of the law. And the history of God's people as it's recounted in God's word is enough to show that they are fickle, easily misguided, often sinning. Whether it's men or women of note like Abraham, Rahab, or David, all who, all of whom are lifted up as, as people of integrity in a certain way, but yet whose lives show that there was much sinfulness in them. Or whether it's the wicked and rebellious Israelites under any number of wicked kings, the Bible is clear about the need to follow God's law and the blessings that follow. The Bible is also very clear about the weak efforts And the sinfulness of even the most sincere children of God. In fact, the inability of God's law, uh, of God's people to keep God's law is made clear by the very law that God gave. Within his law, God gave the sacrifices. He allowed his people to make atonement for their sins because it was a given that they would not be able to keep his law themselves. Because of our inability to measure up to the perfect standard of God's holiness, our good works are not sufficient to merit God's favor. In Romans 3, that famous passage, after making a watertight case for the comprehensive sinfulness of all people, Jews and Gentiles, Paul states that boasting is excluded. We cannot boast in ourselves. We cannot boast in our good works because there is nothing in ourselves to boast about. So what is the place of good works before justification? The, the place of our good works before justification? It is this. 
they are excluded. They're excluded. They don't factor into the equation. Or perhaps you might say the only way they factor into the equation is is this. They necessitate, they make necessary our need for justification. All of our works do not add up to earn God's favor. Rather, all of our works add up to our need for a Savior. They increase our debt. But such is the place of the Bible's teaching of justification by faith alone. That our salvation does not depend upon the addition of our good works or the quality therein. But God declares us righteous in his sight on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ alone. What about after justification? All this negative talk about good works might leave you the, the impression that we're better off taking off the word good. Someone might say that you, that everything we do is so corrupted and so tainted that nothing we do is of any use or value. But that would not do justice to the clear teaching of scripture. There is a place for works and we can call them good. One passage that clearly teaches this is James chapter 2, which we read together. James asks the question in chapter 2, verse 14 of his letter, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? And James will go on to say that faith without deeds is useless. James goes so far as to say that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Striking words. Well, what's going on here? Well, there have been many very technical and detailed discussions about the differences between James and Paul as they discuss justification by faith. Especially when you consider that their language is so strikingly opposite. But at least a part of what's happening here is that James is standing at a different place than Paul is. What am I talking about? Well, remember the timeline. Your mental timeline. When Paul is talking about justification by faith, he's on one side of the timeline and he's saying that works are excluded. There is no place for works there. When James is talking about justification, he's standing on the other end. Of that timeline. And the example of Abraham that he gives makes that clear. The passage speaking about Abraham being credited righteousness through faith comes from Genesis 15. And the passage about Abraham offering his son Isaac is in Genesis chapter 22. He's standing on the different, the other end of the timeline. And so what James is intent on pointing out in no uncertain terms is that justification by faith alone produces good works. It is accompanied by good works. We ought not to take the word good off of them 
We ought not to forget about them altogether. We ought to speak about good works flowing from our justification by faith alone. Good works before justification do not earn God's favor, but to have no thankful, godly, obedient deeds following justification is impossible. Because justification by faith alone is an act by God which brings us into an entirely new reality, the reality of Christ. And in that reality, brothers and sisters, there is profound and immense change. The Catechism speaks about the works that flow from justification in two ways. Answer 63 says that these good works are rewarded. God promises a great reward to those who are faithful with what they've been given in this life. What's characteristic of that reward, though, is that it's not received immediately, but only when the king returns. Jesus commands us to store up our treasure in heaven. And so, brothers and sisters, we're called to faith. And in that life of faith, we're called to love and to produce fruits in keeping with love for God and our neighbor. Now, I cannot command you to do good works out of a sense of grudging duty. God's word does not command us to do good works out of a sense of grudging duty. But rather, we are to remember the love of God. The love that God has first shown to you in Christ. And then we are to ask the Holy Spirit to produce fruits of love and thankfulness in our hearts, from our lips, and in our lives. And the result, the clear result that Scripture teaches, is that our reward will be great. God will reward our good works. The other way in which the Catechism teaches uh, teaches about these works in answer 64 is that they are inevitable. Inevitable. Catechism says it is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not produce fruits of thankfulness. That means that while we cannot legalistically urge good works, we can realistically urge good works. We can realistically say to to each other, say to ourselves, where's the fruit? Where's the fruit of faith? Where are the good works in your life? Justification involves a radical change. Jesus Christ enacts a radical change within us. This radical change begins with a radical reorientation toward God. It continues with radical fruitfulness. And it's followed, at the end of all things, by radical glorification. Yes, faith is absolutely crucial. But faith that is not followed by a life lived for the glory of God is, frankly, no faith at all. Jesus Christ is an overwhelmingly powerful Savior. And it would be a serious attack on His power and majesty to even suggest the possibility 
that when we are united with him, there is no change in us, no fruits, no positive direction, no good works, no thankfulness. And so, brothers and sisters, where does that bring us? Where does that bring us as we consider our lives? We consider the fruitfulness of our lives. What do we do if we are frustrated or perplexed by the lack of fruitfulness in our lives? If we're frustrated by the lack of spiritual productivity? Should we dig deeper? Should we try harder? Should we look harder? Should we make more resolutions? Give 110%? Well, we can leave the cliches to the hockey players. The one place we should go, brothers and sisters, in realizing where this teaching comes from, where we are in the catechism, and realizing what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, The place to begin is with the accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. If we are perplexed or frustrated by the fruits of faith in our lives, where should we go? We should go to Jesus Christ. How do we know that? It is impossible. That those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. So if we want to grow and increase in our fruitfulness, we must go to where that fruitfulness comes from, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has accomplished everything for your salvation on the cross for you. Live by faith in what he has done. And he will fill your life with fruit and shower you with the blessings of his grace. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.